several years ago when Duke University won back-to-back national championships in basketball, there was a popular t-shirt on campus. The front read, you can talk the game, but can you play the game? And on the back, just above the school logo, in large letters was printed the slogan, we can play the game. They made a point. And this is really the point that Paul is challenging us with today and the church in Corinth. Can we play the game? Can we play the game? Our mission here at Village Church, our mission as followers of Jesus Christ, is not merely to talk about the good news. We are invited, we're called, we're challenged to be engaged, to be disciplined, to be focused, and to be about the the good news and play it with heart, play it with soul, and play it to win the prize, to win the prize. We're back in 1 Corinthians again, chapter 9 this week, and I'm indebted to Pastor Steve for his excellent development of the first section of this, most of the chapter, actually, up to the last few verses of this uh, chapter, chapter 9 and 1 Corinthians. And um, in the last four verses of chapter 9, Paul uh, uses the story that's really quite popular among us, the story of competitive athletes And the discipline, the skill, the effort, the interest and focus that it takes, that they invest, and the reward they receive as an example for us as followers of Jesus. It's a compelling picture, and it has, I think, some very important takeaways. He starts with these words, verse number 24, Do you not know that in a race all runners run? but only one gets a prize, run in such a way as to get that prize. Now, I don't know how it works for you, but for me, I am inspired by the dedication of men and women who devote themselves to being the best at something in the world. The best. I suppose that's one of the reasons why the Olympic Games remain a perpetual Uh, fascination for us and not only for me but for millions of people in the world the image of a man a woman giving everything they have everything they are everything they possess every bit of their energy not just for a moment but for years pushing to the very edge of human ability that pulls our attention that pulls our our admiration and that's what Paul uses in this passage as an example for us of following Jesus. The Christian life, basically, Paul is saying, is not a cakewalk. It's not something that asks nothing of you. It's not about me. It's not a focus on my own things, my own self-gratification, doing whatever excites or titillates me. Rather, Paul uses this 
metaphor as a vivid reminder that Christianity is about discipline. It's about focus. It's about things that, that really matter and giving it our best, our brightest. He says, again, don't you know that in a race, all runners run? And then he exhorts us, run in a way such as to get the prize. Now, when Paul said these words, he was in context saying them to a group of people that knew very well uh, athletic games. Corinth was the site of what's called the Isthmian Games. They were named after the isthmus on which Corinth was situated uh, that, that stretched between the basic part of Greece and, the, and, the, and Asia Minor. These games, the Isthmian Games, happened every other year. And by the way, the Olympic Games, which were happening in the time of Paul, happened on the alternate year. So on one year was Olympics, and the second year was the Isthmian Games. And the, the Isthmian Games included running, wrestling, boxing, and throwing the discus, four events. Our Olympics today are a bit more complicated with over 100 events. But Paul knew about them. In fact, you know, I'm maybe stretching things a bit. He may not have, but I can't help but think that he had possibly witnessed a competition or two, and uh, maybe the ones he specifically refers to when he speaks to the church in Corinth in this passage. Running and boxing. And... Um, Paul's point is that the Christian experience is something like an athletic competition. It's like the Isthmian Games. In them, however, in the Olympics, in the games in Corinth, only one winner, only one person rose to the top. Everyone ran, everyone boxed, everyone wrestled, everyone tossed, but only one received the prize. Paul's point first of all, is that the Christian race is not like the Olympic Games. The Christian race doesn't have a first, second, third, or fourth place. The Christian race is not an exclusive event. The Christian race invites everyone to be involved, and everyone who runs, everyone who finishes, wins. And his point is that we should run the race to win, to win the prize. Run to win, he says. Give it your best. Be earnest. Be as earnest about running the Christian race as these athletes are about running their race, about competing in their event, and about winning in what they're uh, challenged in. Now, only one of them gets a prize, but they all do their best. Recently here, the, the Tour de France concluded. I don't know if any of you followed it. I did. I'm, uh, I didn't follow it that closely, but I did watch the, the highlights each day, or at least some of the days, of this 21-segment um, event that happens over 23 days. The Tour de France is called the world's most prestigious and most difficult bike race the Tour de France. It's called the crown jewel of the world tour calendar. 
the Tour de France. 21 days of uh, over a 23-day period covering 2,200 miles. Now, that's over 100 miles a day, going as fast as you can on a bike, not just on the flat, but climbing the mountain chains of the Pyrenees and the Alps, climbing at a faster rate than I can even ride my bike on the road on flat ground. Um, The average speed of the riders in the Tour de France, of the winners in Tour de France, is 25.9 miles per hour. Now you might say, that's just poking. It's not poking. This week, the pastors in the Upper Columbia Conference enjoyed a few days at Camp Myvedon. And on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, I woke early and rode around Hayden Lake. It's a 23.6 mile ride. And that 23.6 mile ride took me one hour and 37 minutes, one hour and 36 minutes, one hour and 35 minutes. Every time, every day, I gave it my best. I tried my hardest. I pushed. I said, a little harder, a little more. Take a little time off. I tried. I tried. You know what my average speed was? A whopping 14.7 miles per hour. <laughs> I was trying my hardest, and only for 23 miles. These guys are riding over 100 miles and averaging almost 26 miles per hour. Now, I did go 26 miles per hour downhill <laughs> on a number of occasions. <laughs> but to me, these athletes that compete in the Tour de France, they are amazing young men. It's a, it's a men's race, And they come to the race as fit as they possibly can. And also with the most positive attitudes that they they can. There there are 22 teams that are, 20 to 22 teams that are involved. Each, Each team has eight riders. And every rider, every rider has to be truly selfless at the tour for their team. Selfless. And very selfish in the way they train. Interestingly, just a side note, this year, a Colombian, for the first time, a man from Colombia won the Tour de France, and he was the youngest ever to win the Tour, 22 years old. And by the way, his team, this is a side note, his team, he was not the rider that was expected to win, and the riders helped the main rider. That's what the eight people on the team are for, to help the, the top guy. Well, this guy was not the top guy, but he did win the tour. And there was a little bit of jostling around for that as the tour went on over the the days. But every rider has to come truly selfless for the team and truly selfish in the way that they train and prepare. They do everything they can to win, to ride, to be fast. And training for the next Tour de France will start in just a few weeks for next summer from September all the way to July because they want to be in tip-top shape when July comes. When I think about that, I think about my own dedication to God and I compare it. I compare their dedication to the way I carry the good news, to my calling 
as a follower of Christ. And I say, hmm, am I as rigorous? Am I as determined? Or am I more like the spectators that line the Tour de France route and cheering those riders on, rooting from the stands, but not really a race-ready participant? That gives me pause to think. Christianity is not like the tour. Everyone who signs up, everyone who takes a number, everyone who stays in the race wins a prize. And by the way, the deacons have some little, um, this kind of a corny, but you know, I'm a bit corny as a preacher anyway. So you're going to get a a handout right now so the deacons can do this while I'm preaching. This is like a bib. If you've ever run in a race, you receive a bib and it has a number on it and you'll be able to figure out what your number is here in this bib and this, this, this supposed bib says running to win. It has a spot for your name and I'm gonna ask you to make a commitment when we finish today. So just take that in your hands and just pretend like you're signing up, huh? You're signing up for this race, this race called Christianity, running the race. You're gonna take a number. You're gonna be out there. And by the way, there's room for you. There's room for everyone. And I also have a little secret for you. You can't fail. You can't if you run the race. But you gotta run the race. You've got to sign up. You've got to prep up. You've got to show up. You've got to give it your best. Now you might say, why? Why do I need to? Do I have to? Why should I if everyone gets surprised? I mean, if it doesn't matter and everyone gets surprised, what motivation would there be to try harder, to prepare more earnestly, to run more ardently? Harder in the Christian race, isn't going to get you a shinier crown, okay? Harder isn't going to cause you to outdo others because Christianity is not a competition against others in the race. My effort in the race doesn't mean that I'll get more gold. My effort in the race doesn't mean that I'm going to get a higher standing, So you might say, why should I give it all the effort? Why not just join up and just come along? Well, like Paul says, it's because of the prize. The prize. Athletes, they're in it for the prize. They go through intense hardship for the prize. They they submit themselves to strict a regime of diet and exercise and training they push their muscles to the utmost capacity and even beyond. They, they endure excruciating pain and fatigue, all for the hope of winning. All for the joy, you might wonder what kind, but joy of competing. All for, well, really just some withering leaves of trees and plants That's what it was back in those days. It wasn't an Olympic gold medal. It was just a wreath of olive, an olive tree branch for the Olympics and for the Ithmian Games. It was celery stalks wound together. Can you imagine that? I mean, what kind of a prize is that? 
But Paul compares it to the imperishable wreath that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. The imperishable wreath, the joy, the hope, the, the prospect of eternal life. And not just life there someday, somewhere, but a purposeful, meaningful, fulfilling life today. An inheritance that will go beyond our ability to, that goes beyond our ability to even imagine it. You know, I've, I've entered a few games, running games in my life. I've run a couple marathons, and I can tell you, I didn't enter a single marathon with the idea or hope that I would win. I'm not that foolish. I did train. I trained for months, for months, and I built up my miles so that I would be ready for a 26.2 mile run. So I hoped I would be ready for a 26.2 mile run. I've run two, as I said, and in both the races, I was ready to quit. (laughs) I ran really good for about 18 miles, but at mile 18, I hit that proverbial wall. Maybe you've heard of a runner's wall or an athlete's wall when they just run out of energy, and that was it. In fact, my first marathon, I had visions that my wife somehow would arrive right there at the side of the road. I was really dreaming this. It was a crazy dream. But my wife would arrive right there and just pick me up alongside the road. (laughs) I was longing for that. It didn't happen. (laughs) But I never once competed with the idea that I would win the race. But I entered Paul says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, 1 Corinthians 9, 25. And Paul uses here some interesting words. And the picture he gives us is one of intense effort. The phrase used for that, that, those words strict training has the Greek word agonizo in it. Does that remind you of any English word? agonizing that's exactly that's what it was agonizing that's what these athletes do they submit themselves to an agonizing experience of training of exercise they agonize over self-control in their bodies they discipline themselves and restrict themselves restrict their dire desires and and wants so that so that they might achieve the most they hold back on any indulgence that might might hinder their their race. It's interesting, um, a writing of a Greek philosopher, Epictetus, said back in about the same day as Paul, he wrote this about the Olympic Games. Do you wish to gain the prize at the Olympic Games? Consider the requisite preparations and the consequences. You must observe strict regime, must live on food you dislike, You must abstain from all delicacies, must exercise yourself at the necessary and prescribed times, both in heat and in cold. You must drink nothing cooling, take no wine as formerly. In a word, you must put yourself under the directions of a pugilist. Anybody know what a pugilist is? A boxer. (laughs) As you would under those of a physician, and afterwards enter the list. Here you may get your arm broken in the race, 
your foot put out of joint, be obliged to swallow a mouthful of dust, to receive many stripes, and after all, be conquered. In other words, is it worth it? Do you really want to compete? That's what it's going to take. Every athlete goes through painful preparation for competition. The New King James puts it this way. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. We don't know what that word temperate means, right? Temperate means being self-controlled, being disciplined, being focused on a goal in all things, in all ways. We're temperate. And that temperance is all-consuming. It's focused on the goal. Nothing is barred from our effort to win the prize. These world-class athletes that do their best in competition, they measure everything. They measure what they eat. They monitor their sleep. They control their thoughts. Everything is scrutinized for one goal, optimal performance. Everything. Everything. You have to want it so bad that you eat, sleep, breathe, and even dream it at night. And you have to live the rigor of the workouts and training almost every day. There's all sorts of training. Flexibility training, strength training, endurance training, and one competition after another, over and over, again and again. And Paul says, they do this. They do this to gain a a crown, a trophy. A trophy that only lasts for a season. Verse 25, they do this to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. As I mentioned to you, the crowns that were given in the Olympic Games weren't gold plaques. They were a wild olive branch wound up in a, in a wreath. And in the Isthmian Games, it was a celery, a stalk of celery wound together. Can you imagine that? These goals, these, these um, trophies began to wither as soon as they were pulled from the ground or cut from the tree. And these athletes, imagine it, push themselves to the limit in their training and competing for a pathetic crown of wilted vegetables. And Paul says, how much more should we give our best, our best? How much more should we maintain our best self-discipline? for something that's not just a vegetable that's dying, but for something that will last forever. Last forever. An incorruptible crown, he calls it. Incorruptible, forever. A forever inheritance in heaven. You know, I am, I am so moved emotionally when I watch the Olympics and I see an athlete from the United States step up onto the podium and and glow in the music of the national anthem and they're awarded this honor, this, this crown, the Olympic gold. But, you know, that's just perishable. That's here today and, and gone tomorrow. It's only for a season. And Paul brings home the comparison. He says, now they do it for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable. How much different is that? Paul says, if athletes are willing to endure all this just for that 
measly crown that quickly fades? How much more earnest should I be in my striving, in my focus, in my earnestness, in my desire? How much more should I be for the crown that God gives it, that God offers me? Our prize is eternal life. Our prize is a homeland forever, a homeland that's a perfect place with perfect relationships and a perfect life. And it just isn't for the then, it's for the today. I remembered back in the 2016 Olympics when Katie Ledecky, the um, uh, swimmer, finished the 200-meter freestyle by 25 one-hundredths of a second. 25 one-hundredths of a second. She won gold by one-quarter of a hundredth of a second. Not something. Or a hundred, 25 one-hundredths of a second. And when she was asked later by someone who interviewed her about that win, she said, Katie said, I have never come so close to vomiting in the water as I did right there. Vomiting in the water. Can you imagine that? Pushing yourself so hard that you're ready to vomit? (laughs) Most of us are afraid to push ourselves so hard as to sweat a little bit. (laughs) Paul is telling us something, isn't he? He's telling us that salvation is worth it. Salvation is worth an investment. Salvation is worth my time. Salvation is worth my focus, my, my attention. Salvation is worth pushing myself a bit, not because I want to be saved, but because I am saved. That's what he's telling us. Salvation, he's saying, is not some kind of an automatic reality. It's not like you say yes to Jesus at 10 and everything falls into place from then on forevermore. Amen. It's not the way it works. He's not saying that. He's not saying that everything will just fall into place without any investment required. Now, I don't mean to imply that your effort is going to save you. It won't. But it sure helps you keep on track. Sure helps you get there, doesn't it? It does. So Paul compares the Christian life to an athletic competition because he wants to illustrate the importance of and extent to which believers are called to do all they can, all you can, all I can, to exercise self-discipline, self-control, to give up rights and privileges regarding diet and lifestyle and, and things that I think are so important, all in order to, to reach the goal to win others for Christ, to be in loving relationship with others in the community. It's such a minor thing when you compare the two, the goal that God offers us. And, well, what do we have to give up in exchange? Eating and doing as we please. Compare that to the prize set before us. Eternal life, eternal home, eternal good with God. So Paul says in Corinthians 9, 26, therefore I do not run like someone aimlessly. 
running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. You know, it's interesting, in the foot race in the Isthmian Games, however many ran, only one could have the prize, no matter how strenuously they trained. Same way in Olympics, same way in any race. However stupendous the, the exertion in the race, only one person is going to win. So Paul says, it's sort of an aimless thing, isn't it? You don't really know. It's not with certainty. That's the way the New King James Version renders it. It's not with certainty that they run this race, but he compares that to Christianity. Is there any uncertainty in your reaching the goal, in your gaining the prize? Is there any uncertainty? There shouldn't be, not in your mind. There shouldn't be. You should have the assurance of life eternal in Jesus Christ because you have him as your Lord and Savior. That's what Paul is saying. You shouldn't have any uncertainty. As Christians, there's no aimlessness about this. If you run, you're going to win the prize. That's the good news. But you got to run. You got to run. And that word aimlessly in the New International Version and uncertainty in the New King James can also be understood as ignorant. Now, what that means to say is that runners ran ignorantly. They didn't know what the prize was going to be. They didn't know if they reached it. But I know, you know, you should know, you can have assurance that the goal is yours in Jesus Christ. You can have assurance because you know the power that's available to you by His Spirit. You should know, you can know that all things are possible for you in Christ Jesus. We can know that. I don't exert myself for nothing. I know that my aim and my attention, when focused on Him, will bring about an end, a good end. Paul had a grand and glorious future, a consuming goal in life. And it wasn't like he was contending with others. He was just wanting to do his best for everyone. And the word also includes in this without observation, it, it, it means that um, all these athletes knew that they were being watched. Athletes do. I mean, they know that every muscle uh, put, pushed, every nerve that stretched, all of it is winning the applause of the crowd and the future crown in the competition. And Paul also knows that his life is being observed. He's under observation. You're under observation. So am I. Paul knew that. He knew that there were critics who were looking for apparent inconsistency in his life, in his teaching. Paul knew that there were Jews who were anxious for his downfall. Paul knew that there were Greeks who longed for his demise. Paul also knew that there were churches, churches that he had planted throughout Asia Minor, who looked to him, for example, who looked to him for instruction, who looked to him for hope. And Paul knew that God's interest was fixed on him as well for good, for success, for blessing. You're under observation too. So am I. No, 
Paul didn't run the race aimlessly, as though it was of no consequence to him, as as if it was no consequence to God or to anyone else. He knew that he was in this race for good, to be blessed, to be a blessing, to be encouraged, to be an encouragement, to be ennobled and to to ennoble others, to, to be given joy and to be giving joy to others, to be purpose-infused and be living on purpose. Paul knew he isn't in it for just for himself. He's in it for the good of others, the good others who need his hope, need his inspiration. He's in it for the glory of God, for his honor. He wants God to be honored in all that he does and all that he says. He wants God to win. He wants God to be given the honor. He knows that the path he walks, the advice he gives, the justice he promotes will bring honor to God. Paul knows. And so he says, I I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. Verse 26, you know know the stance. You know what happens in boxing, that, that brutal sport that I can't even watch. Boxers, they stand in the ring and they move around, their fists beating the air. They do a lot of that in preparation, you know, swings and hits, and they hit in mock battle, all sorts of things in the air, punching bags, sandbags, all sorts of things. And before the the contest commences, they're in the ring bouncing around, and and even once the the fight begins, they're swinging so many swings, and only a few of them land on the mark. Paul says, I'm not like a boxer swinging and hitting the air. Paul says, I'm focusing every energy. I don't want to miss with my aim. I don't want to swing and produce no results. I want to make sure that my energy is focused where it really matters. Because Paul knows there's an adversary. There's an accuser. There's someone who wants to harm him and destroy him. And so he makes sure that all his energy is focused in the right way. You know, I have to, I have to be honest with you. I have to say that if I were to evaluate my efforts as a Christian... I'd have to say that it falls into the category oftentimes of inefficient and ineffective. Really. You know, I'm sold out on morning devotions. I do it every morning. Every morning I open my Bible and I read and I pray. But I have to just be honest with you. I may be devoted to that, but I'm really kind of soft on making sure that I connect with God. Sometimes I just read, and I'm done. And there's really been no connection. And it's like I've just hit nothing but air. Paul says, I don't do that. Paul says, you know, I make sure. I, I make a commitment I, to memorize special verses from Scripture that, that jump out at me. But you know, I may get it done, I may memorize that verse, but often I don't remember it for long. It's not there in a month 
I'm great. I'm great at seeking and seeing the lack in others. I'm great at registering faults and failures. I'm great at pointing out heresy. I'm good at fixing my attention on minors in my life and ignoring and excusing and evading majors, majors in my life. I can really quite easily ignore big stuff like friendship, like justice, like mercy, like love. That's the big stuff. And God puts his finger on those things to me quite often. My life, my life, do I give it the purpose that I should? You know, I, I want that. That's, I want to be in this race. That, more than anything else, I want that. that. I want that to be my goal. That is my, my purpose, my destiny. I want Jesus to live his life so purposefully in me and live his life through me. I do. I want his spirit to direct me. I want his power to strengthen me. I want him to fill me. I want him to use me for his glory, for his honor, for helping others know him too. I want that more than anything. I want to live winsomely, effectively, honorably, truthfully. But I face an uphill battle. And that battle is not just out there in the world of people. That battle even more so is in here, in the world of my own cravings, my own hurtful desires, my own addictive urges, my own destructive tendencies. Paul says, verse 27, No, no, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He says, I discipline my body. I put blows to my body. I, I stay away from foods that, and I do, you know, I, I try I stay away from foods that undermine my health and my body, my mind. I try to make sure that what I quench my thirst with is not just in an indulgence of my desire. I eat for physical endurance and strength and mental clarity. I want to monitor my mind and my body, replenish it with sleep for optimum performance. I want, that's what I want, to subordinate everything to one thing. The race. The race. Knowing God and being known by Him. Living life as a powerful witness of His kingdom. That's what Paul wanted. That's what he encouraged the church in Corinth with. And that's what we are encouraged with today, friend. How about for you? It should be noticed, noticed also that Paul in this passage isn't pitting the body against the spirit. In other words, there's no mind-body, body-spirit dichotomy. Paul talks about all that he does to his body because he knew, knows that there is a connection between body and spirit, mind and, and physical strength. The object is not to 
just practice self-denial for the sake of self-denial. The object is not to be a, a practice abstemiousness for the sta- sa- its own sake, but rather, he says, I make my body my slave. I manage it. I manage the physical in order that I might better do the spiritual, the relational, and help others. In a recent Union Bulletin issue, they had the story of Craig Schwinn. Maybe some of you read about that story in the perspective section. Craig Schwinn, who completed the grueling Tour Divide, I didn't say Tour de France, Tour Divide, a 2,745-mile bike pack race. Bike pack, that means you're taking your tent with you. (laughs) He started on June 14th in Banff, Alberta, Canada, and he finished in Antelope Well, New Mexico, on the border of the United States and Mexico. That's a long race. He climbed 175,000 vertical feet. That's 12 Mount Rainiers, just to let you know. 12 Mount Rainiers. He crossed mountain passes. He endured snow. He endured ice. He endured trails so rocky and steep that he had to get off and push his 50 pounds of bike and gear up hills for miles. He endured winds so strong that he wanted to curl up on the ground and cry. Imagine it. And his food, he didn't carry his food. Instead, he depended upon high-calorie food that he'd find along the way. And what was that? Garbage. But he had to eat it. He knew that it would be a part of it. And so he did high-calorie food for 25 days from convenience stores and fast food joints like 79-cent burritos. How'd you like that? Not just one, but many, many, many every day. Hmm. And all this, all this for a race, the Tour Divide, a race that has no entry fee, it has no prize, and receives very little attention. I'd never heard of it in all my life. And when asked about this race, this is what he said at the end of the race. Why, Craig? Why did you do this? This is what he said. I was the luckiest guy in the world. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I got to stomp on my pedals for 12 to 18 hours a day. Who gets to do that? Someone needs to take his temperature. <laughs> Who gets to do that, he says. Now, compare the two, if you wouldn't, wouldn't mind here as we conclude. Compare the two. Paul says, look at what people do in order to win the prize, to enter the race. And he says, this for just nothing, just for some burritos for 25 days. Paul says, compare that to the prize that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. So I want to challenge you today friends, as I am challenged. I've been challenged by this verse, and I've given you this little piece of paper. Uh, You know, do with it as you wish, but if you'd like to, there's a spot for your name. If you want to say, you know, Lord, I want to be in this race. I'm going to make this for real. I'm going to be a part. 
I'm not just going to be a spectator. I'm not just going to be someone in the stands cheering others on. I'm going to give it my all. I'm going to give it my best. I'm going to do everything I can, not because I'm trying to earn something with God, but because I want to be about this great joy of of knowing him, following him, sharing him with others, and going to live with him forever. I want to be about this with my whole being. Do you want to say that this morning? I want to say that. I want to be a part of that. That's who I want to be. That's what I, I don't want to just be limping along. I want to be in this for real for God's glory, for his honor. And if your heart is there with me, put down your name right there and say, I, I'm, this is what I want to be about. This is, my, this is my commitment, Lord, to be about this race that you have invited me to be a part of today and tomorrow and the next day and every day until he comes back. Not for my glory, not for my achievement, not because I'm trying to earn something, but for his glory and for for sharing the good news with others so that they can be a a part of this, this joy themselves. Would you do that with me? Would you put your name there and just say, yeah, this is, this is who I am, who I want to be for God's glory until he comes back. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your goodness and mercy to us in Jesus Christ. We are in a race, and the race is all-consuming. But sometimes we have not been about it as we should or as the race deserves. We see what other people do here on earth to earn just a withering wreath or a piece of metal, or nothing at all, just to be in the race. We see what others do in their effort, in their energies, in their attention, in their focus. And it really is is an inspiration for us today that it would be well for us to be a bit more about this race that you've invited us to be a part of a race that you promise us we will win. We will win if we just enter, if we just run, if we just put our hand in yours. So we're doing that today, Lord. We're putting our hand in yours and saying, with you, Lord, all things are possible. May we run this race. May we do it for your glory. May we bring others with us, with a share, with a word, with a smile, with a meal. And may we bring you honor until you return is our prayer in Jesus' name.